so much for this morning, Jesus. We, we thank you for this opportunity to come and to worship you, Lord. And just even today, as, as I, at the text that we're looking at this morning, I'm just encouraged by, by yesterday and people gathering to pray and to seek your face, God, on behalf of our country, the things that are going on. And so, God, I even just as I think about some of the verses, Lord, that we would not be anxious for anything. But right now, Lord, through prayer and supplication, Lord, that we would let these requests be made known to you with thanksgiving. Regardless of circumstances, Lord, there is so much to be thankful for. And so, God, we pray that you would meet with us here this morning. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit wants to say to us. And God, I pray that you would empower me and, and enable me to speak your truths Oh, Lord, with boldness and clarity. And so we thank you for this time now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're looking at a message that I've entitled this morning, Unity, Joy, and Prayer. Unity, Joy, and Prayer. Now, as often, and I'm sure you're well aware that people at times can be very cray-cray. I mean, they can be crazy. I mean, church, in some ways, right, being a little bit sarcastic and a little bit jokingly, right, Church would be amazing if it wasn't for the people, okay? No, I'm just kidding. But, but listen to this. This is an article by Tom Rainer. He's the former president and CEO of Lifeway Christian Resources, right? And it started out as just a Twitter post, right? But it quickly grew, and he wrote this article, and the title of the article is called 25 Silly Things Church Members Fight Over. Okay, now, read you. There's 25. I don't know if I'll go through all of them, but here's some of the things. And these are legitimate things that people uh, emailed him and said, hey, these are things that people have fought over about in our church. Okay, so here, not our church, but across the U.S., right? Uh, One was this, an argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. (laughs) That's like the whole thing now, right? Okay, another one was a fight over whether or not to build a children's playground or to use the land for a cemetery. <laughs> I'm leaving this church if we build a children's playground. You know, that's kind of what happened, I guess. Um, the pastor, the guy who's comment wrote the article in quotes, he says, I'm dying to know the resolution of this one. I thought that was good. A deacon accusing another deacon of sending an anonymous letter and decided to settle the matter in the parking lot. Ooh, a little rough, man. Come on, bring it. Um, a church dispute of whether or not to install restroom stall dividers in the women's restroom. That's kind of weird. Maybe it's a, like, maybe that one was not in the U.S. <laughs> no, man. Um, a church argument and vote to decide if a clock in the worship center should be removed. Oh, man. It's crazy. This one is crazy. A 45-minute heated argument over the type of filing cabinets to purchase black or brown two, three, or four drawers. Whoa. Okay. A dispute over whether the worship leader should have his shoes on during the service. <laughs> oh, man. Here's one, and I, it's, we've come close to this one before. A big church argument over the discovery that the church budget was off by 0.10 cents. Someone finally gave a dime to settle the issue. Oh, man. Oh, here's one. A dispute in the church because the Lord's Supper had cranberry grape juice instead of grape juice. Oh, man. Um, Here's one involving food. Arguments over what type of green beans the church should serve. Oh, man. Here's one. Here's one I would probably get into a fight with about. Two different churches reported fights over the type of coffee 
In one of the churches, they moved from Folgers to a stronger Starbucks blend. In the other church, they simply moved to a stronger blend. Members left the church in the latter example. <laughs> I mean, this is just, oh, here's one. Here's, okay, here's the final one. Okay. A disagreement over using the term potluck instead of pot blessing. Because we are the church, and we don't believe in luck. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> okay, okay, couple more, couple more. A church member was chastised because she brought vanilla syrup to the coffee server. It looked too much like liquor. Oh, man. And then finally, let's see. Some church members left the church because one church member hid the vacuum cleaner from them. It resulted in a major fight and split. You know, and you would be surprised some of those things happen, and some of these have been close to happening even in this church. Now, as I think about that, it can happen to any of us, and I think because at times, right, we as people were a little bit nuts, primarily when we forget the purpose, right, the purpose of the church. That's when those things start to happen. When we forget, why are we even gathering here this morning? Because the reality is what we need to do is reconnect ourselves with what is the church. And hopefully by now you realize it's not so much the building, although we're blessed and, and we at times will purchase buildings and so forth. But, but they are in the scheme of things a tool, a place of gathering, but not the church. Right? The church is a spiritual society known as the ecclesia or the called out ones. Right? It belongs to Jesus. And Jesus himself said, right, I will not allow the gates of hell to prevail over the church. The church is meant to be the new covenant form of how we express our thanks and worship of God. It's an, think about this. It's an outward expression of the visible body of who Jesus is, right? This is our hands, the feet of who Jesus is. Now, when you think about it that way, is church necessary to be a Christian? Well, when you really start looking at it in its real context, that's kind of even a weird question. Because coming together as the church does not make you necessarily a Christian, but it is part of our spiritual growth and part of our spiritual practices, again, for our own health and spiritual well-being. That's why the writer of Hebrews would later say in Hebrews 10, verse 23, he says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to store up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. So when we come together, right, as the visible body of Christ, it's an expression of our faith to stir up love and to stir up good works and so forth and exhorting one another, especially as we together come and realize that, man, the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming up. Well, at some point or another, He is coming, right? And then, as not so much as, a, well, yes, as an expression of our faith, but then the idea, too, is we're getting together to worship and for fellowship, for breaking of bread, and, and for, for the, the doctrine of the apostles. I mean, we see that in Acts 2.42. It's something that the church still today practices, something they did way back when. But then think about this for a second. In John chapter 13, here's Jesus I think somewhat even being prophetic there, right? Knowing what's to come as the creation of the church is to be born. He says this, right? In prepping people for the church in John 13, 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, 
that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another, and by this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And think about that verse. Again, you could jot that down, John 13, 34, and 35. But did you see part of that key there is that all will know that we are followers of Jesus by our love for one another. People will know that Jesus is true and real by the way we treat one another. But every now and then, beyond some of these silly things that I talked about earlier, these 25 things that people actually fight over, every now and then, real division creeps up into the church. And it's heartbreaking. Because what it does is it takes away from our witness and being effective as the church. And sadly, as we think about this, this is not anything new. In fact, it's been going on since the, the beginning of the church. When the church started, we began to see some of these divisions. You look in the book of Acts and you see divisions that begin to creep up in the church, especially when we take our eyes off of Jesus. When we begin to look at circumstances, when we begin to look at faults in others, or, or we start to focus on our own personal hurts, and, and we don't practice forgiveness, or we hold on to bitterness, man, when in those cases, we are ripe for division in the church. And it doesn't just hurt those involved, right? It, it, it's something that, that is a schism that, that can be created here and can spread out even into our community. And so this morning in Philippians chapter 4, and these next, you know, six verses or so, Paul is addressing, appealing once again to this theme of unity. Unity is one of the primary themes of the book of Philippians, right? Because there is a schism. There is a, uh, uh, man, there is division in that church. There's some ladies that are arguing in this church, fighting Right, and so we're going to look at three things I think that Paul brings out, at least that we get to bring out this morning. It's not the cover-all or the solution for all, but I definitely think it's a good place to start if we're going to bring reconciliation within the church and to the church. It's what Paul does for them, right? And, and really, as you look at, I mean, we're, in this last chapter, we're really starting to get into these, what I would call refrigerator verses. These verses that are very common to see on refrigerator magnets and, and, and little picture frames all over the rooms when I think of like, you know, be anxious for nothing but in everything in prayer and supplication, right? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You know, all these different things that, that we're very familiar with. The bad story of all these verses is that there was division in the church and Paul is wanting to help bring mending to the church. He's wanting to help bring this unity. And so look what he says there in verse 2 in Man, this is heavy. He says, I implore Euodia, and I implore Sintuche to be, it, it almost sounds Hispanic, but it's not, it's like Hebrew, right? To be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. And our first point is, we're all in this together. We're all in this together. Now, you think about this, the focus shifts to these two women in the Philippian church who were divided. Something had come between these two ladies that caused disunity in the church that is the cause of why Paul would over and over, man, just call us out for unity and also over and over say rejoice, rejoice. So 
Here's this gal, Euodia, that's how you pronounce her name. Her name means fragrance or prosperous journey. She was a leader in the church. And then the other gal, Sintuche, she helped Paul preach the gospel, and she also held a, a form of leadership within the early church. Now, both of these gals were, were, would be considered deaconesses in the early church. Again, we don't know why they were fighting. We don't, it is, and at this point, it really doesn't matter. But all that matters is that it was bringing hurt to the church. Now, think about this. This is even more crazy, is that it affected the church to the extent that Paul thought it necessary to basically call these, guy, these gals out publicly like that. I mean, you think about it here today, right now, like, say, like, we're back then. Cabrissan Juan is, you know, there in, in Philippi. And I'm like, hey, guys, listen up. Paul wrote a letter for all of us. Come, let's gather together. We're coming to my house. And I'm going to read you this letter that Paul wrote to us. And we're reading this letter. You know, and they would have done it all in one sitting. And we're going through it. And we're like, yep, that's good. That's good. Oh, man, yeah, that's right. I want to have the mind of Christ. And just like Jesus, like, humbled himself and took on the form of a man. And we're all there. We're all there. And all of a sudden, he gets to chapter 4. These gals would have been in the congregation. And all of a sudden, I implore you, Odea. And all of a sudden, Odea looks up. Like, oh, what's going on here? And all of a sudden, then she says, oh, and also, Sintuche. And then she looks up. And they're maybe sitting across on separate sides of the room now. You know how crazy that would be? I implore you now, Anna and Lori, it's time to put away your disagreements. <laughs> like, that would be like, whoa, hey, and Doug, you need to get involved, and you know what? All of you as well. All of a sudden, all, all heads, faces are like, go back to Lori and Anna, like, what's going on here? But here's the reality, everybody already knows what's going on. Paul, what he's just doing is he's getting bold and basically just calling them out. It's saying, hey, it's time to stop. I mean, think about how quiet the room would get in that moment. For us, it's kind of funny, but if that were like a real case scenario, it's almost to the point of like, I would just be done. I'm done. I cannot go up every Sunday now and then let these two ladies that we all love keep going on with their disagreements. It's time to just call them out. It's time for, you know, Carl to get involved as well. And all of you, I mean, look, he brings all of it. Now think about it. He appeals to them, both of them, individually. That's how rowdy it is. The... Um, New, or the NASB says it this way, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. That's, that's the thought that's behind that, right? To live in harmony in the Lord. He's calling the church to do that. It's a word picture. It's that of like having these, these individual notes, right? You know, if, if you're familiar with playing guitar, you, you know, you have these individual notes that you can play one at a time. But when you... Um, when you put them together, it creates a chord, and you have this, like, this harmony that happens, right? That's the word picture that Paul is saying here. You know, don't let your disagreement become like this bad note, right, in the church. But let it be a beautiful melody. Let it be like the, someone who's strumming this awesome chord that just brings this sound, that to maybe that's a call to worship. I mean, we know that, right? At the beginning of the fellowship, when it's starting, we know that Brian's ready to begin leading us in worship because he'll put on his guitar and he strums a chord. And you know, it's kind of a call to worship, right? But imagine in that moment, if like Brian grabs the guitar and he wants to call us to worship, and instead of maybe doing like a... He's like, okay, guys, come on. It's time to worship. You're like, dude, what is going on here? Okay, 
We're like, it's time to get a new worship leader, or Brian's got something going on in his brain. Like, let's call 911, you know, or something. But that's the idea here. He's saying live in harmony with the Lord so that as someone who's strumming a guitar, per se, it brings this melody that's attractive. But here, Paul, it's not happening the way he's inviting these people. He invites, you know, the two gals. He invites this guy named Clement. And then he invites the 12th man. You know, I'm just kidding. But he invites the rest of the church body. He actually calls out this true companion. He's calling the whole church to be involved in this process. And why? Well, because I believe it's just like it says in that first point. We're all in this together. All of us in this together. We as the church are going to spend all eternity together. And there's a hint to this because look at the end of verse uh, uh, 3. Right? He says, I urge you, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Right? There's this hint that we're going to be in eternity together. And so then let's get this thing worked out. Let's come together and let's, let's stop playing bad notes and let's start bringing some chords of, of melodies into the church once again. Now, before we go on with this schism, right, what is the book of life? Well, it's the book that has all the names of the saints recorded in heaven, past, present, and future, the redeemed citizens of heaven, right? Paul was talking about that last week, right, that we are citizens of heaven, right? We are citizens of this, this eternal thing that's happening. Now, this is huge for them because in that aging culture, as I said last week, you know, citizenship was a big deal, you know, and they would have these scrolls or these books that would contain the names of people in those communities that had the right of citizenship. And here Paul, once again, is just relaying this, that, man, we're going to spend eternity together, right? You, you see a little bit of, of this in the Gospel of Luke, if I'm not mistaken, in Luke uh, chapter tw- uh, 10, I think it is, uh, 21, 21, 21. We're right after Jesus had sent the disciples, the 70 disciples out to go out and to cast out demons and to perform healings. They come back and they're super pumped. They're excited. They're like, man, we were casting out demons in your name. Things were happening. And then Jesus says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. There's a picture there. Then when you go into the heavenly realm in the new Jerusalem, where, where it speaks of the glory of God in the throne room, or where we're going to be worshiping, right, in the Lord, there speaks of this holiness that's there in Revelation 21, 27. He says, but there shall by no means enter in anything, right, that defiles or causes abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life, right? You have this, this once again, this, this pointing to this thing. And what it's meant to do is to give us you know, an, an eternal perspective, right? Especially in regards to our relationships and the pursuit of unity in the church. Now, it's a challenge to the church to fix what is broken, to restore the unity of the saints with eyes on eternity, right? To, to be of the same mind in the Lord. And man, and so there's a party, I was looking at this and I'm like, this is rowdy. Like Paul is intense that he would use names. And so right now, I'm going to go down all the list of names of everyone that's ever had division within the church. 
No, I'm just kidding. Some are like, what? I'm like, no, don't do that. Well, there's precedent for it. I'm not going to do it. But it is critical that we as a church maintain this harmony. And so many times, instead, we're given over to our flesh. We're given over to our flesh. And instead, we have this greater desire to be nosy, right? To, to talk and to gossip more than listen and pray. And sadly, this is where I will be a little bit frank. In my 13 years of ministry, ministry here, unfortunately, I could probably count maybe on these two hands the amount of times that I've had one-on-one talks with people to seek forgiveness or reconciliation over something that I may have said or have said unintentionally towards someone that hurt their feelings or just even an opportunity for, for a clarification. Like, did you really say that? Is that what you... No, no, this is what I was saying. I could probably count on these two hands. Even here recently... Uh, this, for one example, recently, one night after youth group, we were hanging out and we were just kind of, you know, just, just kind of going over how youth group went that night and so forth. And we're talking and then we were kind of goofing around and I was telling about some changes that are going on in the other church that we do youth ministry with. And then we were goofing around some more. And then I said something that was pretty, I guess, rowdy to one of the gals there. Um, and as soon as the words came out, I was like, oh, you idiot. Why did you say that? was, I just, you know... I forgot that I was 45, I guess, in that moment, and became like a teen and just said goofy things. And, and, and just, I lost sleep that night over it. The next morning, I was like, hey, I just want to clarify, I, I'm really, really sorry for what I said. And then they shot me this long text back, you know, and it was just like, whoa, whoa, you heard this, this, and this. But even in that, this is what blew me away. But I understand that you are a man and that you're not perfect. And I'm here to serve Jesus. And I'm just like, man, the wisdom of this person. And I said, well, let's come talk. Come talk. And so we talked and, 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 and we laughed about it. And it was good. It was good. And we can serve. And I've had that, those kinds of conversations with other people before. And I can honestly say that, that the people that I've had those kinds of conversations, whether I sinned against them or they sinned against me, and they cared about me enough to come and ask me why, and, and for me to go to and ask them why, I can honestly say that we are probably better friends because of it. We've actually gotten closer, right? And, and you, you know them. They, they gave you an opportunity to know who they were as a person and vice versa. But sadly... I cannot and have lost count of how many times that for no reason that I'm aware of, at least, people have left the church. Or, or people, you know, you see them sitting next together and they look like they're family and then the next week they're like sitting on opposite sides and they won't even acknowledge each other as they're walking out the door. They, they won't even give each other the time of day. And I'm not stupid. I mean, I, I, over the years, I hear the gossip. I hear things being said and things, things said about me and you, you try to block it out and you know those things are being said and then they come in and then they have this space like everything's okay. I've had people try to come tell me about things about our leadership and I've said, stop, you don't, I don't want to hear it. You go talk to them. And at least to my knowledge, at least three or four times over the years I've seen it, that has not happened. It's not happened. And to me, it's really, really sad to see that kind of division in the church. You know, we're just, you know, and sadly, 
I know there's been years that have gone by where other things have come to light and, and you find out later on, like, oh, that's not what they meant or that's not what they said. And you, we make these, these, these judgment calls about people. Or, or even how about this, right? You spend years and years of ministering alongside somebody and you think you've gotten to know their character and their heart um, and then they leave over one thing and it's almost as though all those years of just pouring into one another is just tossed out the door. And it's heartbreaking, right? And I think that this is important because here Paul says it. I mean, if you could say it in modern day language, Paul would be like, man, I'm begging you, Anna. I am begging you, Lori, please, for all that is holy and right, get it together. And would you guys stop ignoring the situation and stop adding to the division by your gossip and your turmoil and getting in your little pockets on your barbecues on Saturdays and talking about it and stirring it up? Would you please just get it together and reconcile? Would you bring these ladies together and let's figure this thing out? Because the reality is... (laughs) We're human beings, and we're going to fail. But the church is worth coming together and talking about these things, right? It's heartbreaking. So what happens, and sadly what happens is the church then becomes a guitar that's being played out of tune. The wrong chords are being strummed, and then we're going to our community, hey, come to our concert. Come check out this awesome concert. And so then they come, and we do what I did earlier. And then you're like, hey, wasn't that awesome? Yeah, that was really awesome. That was great. Gosh, yeah. Hey, will you come again? Yeah, sure. And then we're going to go there again. And that's what happens. And then we begin wondering. Because the church is meant to be a source of reconciliation. A chord that is strum that brings delight to the hearer, to our community, and to the world. Why? Because we're all in this together. With all our faults, with all our weirdness, and all of our misspoken words, we're still all in this together. Right? The church is not a perfect place. Right? And here I believe that's the heart of Paul right? in this. And what really what gives us context. So here's how the unity starts. At least this was the key for the Philippian church. And I think this is things that we can you know, maybe glean from as well as Paul goes forward. And so right after this, right after these two verses of intense, like, hey, let, we're in this together. Let's, let's figure this thing out. Let's bring healing. Right? Paul then says, rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be made to all men. The Lord is at hand. All of a sudden, it brings new meaning to like the word rejoice. Rejoice. Let's rejoice in the Lord. I think these are practical action items for the church, right? To rejoice always. As I said, this is like one of the second themes of the book of Philippians. It's this call to, to, to unity also involves rejoicing in the Lord. Right? Rejoicing in the Lord makes us what? It makes us take our eyes off of circumstances. Off of hurt, off of pain, off of failure, off of offenses. It helps us to make it about Jesus and not about us. It's not to discount our pain. Because I think that's why Paul ends it with, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is coming. God is involved in this. God will bring reconciliation to this. I know that hurts. I know that's painful. I know that that didn't feel good. But rejoice in the Lord no matter what in all situations. 
Even if it gets crazy, yes, even if it gets crazy. Well, even if they say this, yes, even if they say that. But, but what if he or she hurts me by doing this? Yes, rejoice in the Lord. Because happiness, another word for rejoicing there, is not found in your husband. It's not found in your wife. It's not found in your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your job or your friend. Because the reality is all these things were never meant to bring us happiness and fulfillment. And so many times the division that happens in the church is because we're putting all these expectations on people. We're coming to the church building with this sense of, uh, of, of consumer mentality, right? So I've gone shopping. I went to all the churches on the island, and they didn't meet my criteria. So this one looks the closest. And so we come in with this set of criteria, right? And so when all of a sudden the church doesn't start meeting those needs, oh, they have failed me or they have hurt me or the church has done this or they've done that or Brian hasn't grown a beard yet. And because the church in Portland that we were going to, they all have beards on the worship team. Even the ladies there, it's weird, right? And so, so that's what I want to be a part of. And so forget this church. They're not hip enough for me. The reality is happiness can only be found in the person of Jesus. Because there's always going to be someone who will offend you, who will say something that will hurt you. Someone will always let you down. Your spouse will do that. Your friend will do that. Your boss will do that. And if you're waiting for people and circumstances to give you joy, it will never happen. When they do at times, even those times, they're temporary, right? It's like icing on the cake. Right? It's the extra piece of meat in your burger that you only pay for one patty. And you're like, oh, I've scored. Right? But happiness is found in Jesus. And so Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. Look what Spurgeon, I love how Spurgeon says it in, re, in regards to this verse. He says this, I am glad that we do not know the quarrel, what the quarrel was about. I'm usually thankful for ignorance on such subjects. But as a cure for disagreements, the apostle says, rejoice in the Lord always. People who are very happy, especially those who are very happy in the Lord, are not apt either to give offense or to take offense. Their minds are so sweetly occupied with higher things that they are not easily distracted by the little troubles which naturally arise among such imperfect creatures as we are. Joy in the Lord is a cure for all discord. Man, talk about an act of faith, right? Now, the second thing here, and this is heavy for us, I believe, too. The second thing is rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, let your gentleness be made known to all men. Or you could say it this way. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. I love how the New Living Translation puts it. It says it this way. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Right? Oh, man. I mean, to me, I think this is a word for us as a church, right? To let our gentleness be known to all men. To be gentle people. I mean, that's actually, the, the word uh, gentleness there, it's from the Latin, right? And it speaks of someone who, who comes from a high station in life, right? When you think of the Victoria era, 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 right, of just learning manners and couth, right? It's kind of where we get the word gentleman from. To be a gentleman to, to, to all people that are around us. And as I think about this, I mean, truly, guys, for us as followers of Jesus, manliness should also equal gentleness. And I know for some of us that might be difficult. But we do have to reject this idea of, of well, I, I tell it like it is. 
And I don't care who, who, who understands or I don't care what they think. I, I'm just a straight shooter. You know, and then we're plowing over people at the same time. And, it, and it's not like that. It's not, should not be like that for us as the church. We have to reject that idea, especially if you think about it right now, right? In this time, right? Um, especially during this political climate, it's easy to call people names of people that you don't, they don't believe like you politically. It's easy to get in these, on these, in these social media, you know, back and forth and so forth. And sadly, so I think sometimes in our time of fellowship, it can be easy to get in conversations and to make people feel, because this is what could happen. Man, if I'm to be a good Christian, then, then I must believe like this politically. I must believe this way culturally and all these things. And we get all these things and we rub people the wrong way. And, and, and more than being right, more than having these opinions here, Paul is like, no, rejoice in the Lord and be gentle to all. Be gentle to people. Rejoice in the Lord. I, I think it goes a long way in our attempt to bring unity among the church. It's not an empty promise. It's not, right? Uh, it's not even to say that the Lord is not a stranger to your hurt or your pain, your offenses, right? Because part of it is like, okay, if I'm rejoicing in the Lord, which takes, takes a step of faith, and if I'm going to be gentle to all people, even those who are actively hurting. And I know that that wouldn't be, I'm going to see them at the, the, at the four-way stop, and I am not going to make eye contact with them. Right? And you kind of like, oh, look at the flowers over there. I just didn't see them. You know? And then there's a challenge for us to be gentle to all. Look, I get it. It's hard. Right? Especially when maybe people left Maybe even for, for my regard, where people left the church over something that I'm like, Lord, like strike me down, but I did not say that, or I did not do that, or, or, or if they only knew the truth amongst one another, you know, and, and, and so we want to, 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 to state our case, we want to defend our stance, and it can be easy to, to then begin holding grudges towards those people. And even kind of like little, <clears throat> little jabs. And yet for us as a church, right, working towards unity, right? Not unity in the sense of, of just disregarding or thinking like, okay, well, they'll get away with it. Or, you know, if I do that, then they're not going to know that they hurt me. No, that's why Paul says, no, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is there. The Lord is coming, right? The Lord is about to come. That's, it's the word we get for like Maranatha. It's like keeping that in the forefront, that God, God is the judge. God is the one that, that brings all of this, and He will reconcile eventually. Even all those things that we think, that, yeah, but they're going to get away with it. It's okay. It's okay, because they're not. They might get away from you, <laughs> your vengeance and your wrath, right? But God, who judges righteously, who, who judges holy, right? He's right there. Rejoice in the Lord. Be gentle to all. It's unity in action because the Lord is at hand. All right, the righteous judge. Look at the last one. Then the third one. Prayer makes us one. And then, like with all that in mind, that's why Paul then says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. You see, prayer is the road to unity with man and with God. Right? Prayer makes us one. And on a practical level, how can you stay mad with someone if you're praying with them? I mean, man, I don't know how many times some of our arguments between me and my wife have begun to subside when we just put aside the want to stay angry and just pray. Sometimes we've gone into prayer angry at each other. But as I'm like praying, I'm like, oh man, how can I stay mad at this woman? And you just, you're, you're putting your eyes on the Lord. And all of a sudden, all those things that you thought, right, God wants to take over. Right? It's, it's a call to actually not be anxious about those things, which can give us anxiety for sure. Anxiousness here is extreme uneasiness. It's a way to, to, for worry to slip in, but it's a reminder once again, just like Jesus said in Matthew 6, 25, right? Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life or what you will eat or your drink or not about your body or what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Or you could say this way, is not life more than being right? Right? Is not life more than these things? So how much more when it comes to division and disagreements in the church? Again, don't get me wrong. I mean, I've, I've definitely have lost sleep over the years for sure of division in the fellowship. But here's the reality. When I begin to worry, when I believe that I can do something about it, right? Something that only really can be done in the heavenly places, right? I am taking those situations and, and putting it into my own hands. I've been in conversations like, well, something with people where their, their argument is, well, something needs to be done. They have to know, right? You, you need to act or they should act. You know, something needs to be done. I need action. But what can we do really, right? It's all in the flesh when we have that kind of heart. Get mad at them, take vengeance, switch to another church. No, I can't because I'm teaching next time. Can't do that, you know? Ignore them. All those works are works of the flesh. All my resources in the end, over and over, and even in just my limited time in ministry and working with people, all it's done is cause more division. When we put it in our own hands and we go and seek and we put up the, oh, I'm not going to go. I'll show them. Man, be anxious for nothing and instead prayer because prayer is doing something. Prayer is taking action. Prayer is inviting the God of the universe to come in and to take over. And it allows me to get out of the way. And he's smart. Look what Paul says. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. That word prayer there means to generally pray. And it's smart because in the way it's interpreted is that generally pray. Because this would just simply keep your mind on heavenly things. And not occupied with that thing that wants to make you, make you anxious. That wants to keep you in a, in a state of worry. And yes, in supplications, pray about the situation specifically. But all of it with thanksgiving. Because as children of God, we surely do have much to be thankful for. But here's something we don't want to miss. Look what he says. And I think this is key for some of us. Maybe we need to be rebuked in this way. Let your requests be made known to God. Let your requests be made known to God. All of this is in context of division and seeking for reconciliation, right? It's nobody else's business. 
It's nobody else's business. Don't gossip and don't clothe it in a prayer request. Don't take it to everyone and who will listen and then disguise it as, well, I just needed direction. I needed them to pray for me. So they had to know every single grisly detail, you know? No. Practically speaking, keep your circle small. And again, don't get me wrong. It's good to have godly people to go to, but make sure it's people who will not just listen, but who will listen with godly ears, who will actually stop you and say, hey, you know what? I don't need to know all those details. Okay, I don't need to know. Just, I get it. You're struggling with A and B. Okay, let's take that to the Lord. Okay, we'll take that. And people who will, will actually then pray. And say, hey, I'll, I'll pray with you, but I'm also going to call you on it too. Did you go? Did you go and reconcile? Did you go apologize? Did you, you know, did you stop giving him the evil eye every time you saw him in Marketplace? You know, someone who will actually help you take it to the Lord in prayer. But here's the deal. They're the second option. Because Paul says, let your requests be made known to God. You take those requests to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Right? This is peace for you if you will seek it. It's peace, it's total well-being with God, and His peace is able to surpass your intellect, right? Your, your comprehension, right? Your own human reasoning, and more than anything, your justification for why you should keep worrying. Right? Let God take it. Why? Because when we're engaged with God, then our minds are linked with Him. And when we are synced with Him, it opens the horizontal, right? To have unity with fellow man, right? So that we're praying, so that there's unity with man and God. So that prayer, I believe, makes us one, right? So here's lastly, in conclusion, right? Paul starts out this chapter with a plea. He's begging these two ladies to come together in unity. Make no mistake. It comes, it begins with humility because God gives grace to the humble and he resists the proud. It's a call not to only to them, but to us as the modern day church of Jesus. It's a call to live in harmony with all people. Why? Because these are people we're going to live with in eternity. These are people that we're going to be bound with Right? Because of the blood of the Lamb. So then rejoice, be gentle, be anxious for nothing. But in all these things, seek God in prayer for yourself and for others. Now I know this is hard and it seems impossible at times, right? Especially for some of you right now. But know this, man, the power is in Christ. Christ is our ultimate example. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Look what Peter says, this last verse in 1 Peter 2.21 For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls, to bring it to Jesus in these moments. Man, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Jesus, for this time and of getting into your word and God, I pray that this would just be an encouragement to us, Lord, to seek reconciliation. Lord, not in any way condemning, 
Lord, but that we might be rescued from ourselves, that we might be rescued from these traps that want to come and bring division within the fellowships. Lord, not just our fellowship, but, I, but even now I think of the other churches in our community. You know, we're not special. We're not, you know, all churches go through these things, right? All these local expressions of who you want us to be, we all go through that. And may, Lord, there be chains broken, Lord, in this area. That there would be reconciliation, God. That there would be humility, Father, that we would look first and foremost to look to you, to rejoice in you, Jesus. So we thank you, Father. Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, help us, draw us, Lord, by your spirit, Lord. Thank you, God. So let's respond.